Welcome to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. My guest today is comedian Ted Alexandro. Ted has appeared on all the big talk shows, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel, Craig Ferguson, The View even. Um, he's also other TV work that he's done, uh, Inside Amy Schumer, uh, an episode of Louie, The Gaffigan Show, an episode of Oz. You remember that show, the HBO Prison Show? It's a dramatic role for him, I think. I have to check that out. Um, he's had two half-hour specials on Comedy Central. He's performed all over the world. He's performed at Carnegie Hall, Madison Square Garden. Um, so you get it. He's got a pretty good resume here. He's, he's currently on the road opening for Jim Gaffigan, um, who uh, he also does a YouTube show with called Teacher's Lounge. I watched a couple episodes of that. It's pretty funny. Um, but I really became a fan of his when I, when I, I just randomly found his stand-up bit on La Bamba, um, which I've posted to our Facebook page. I thought it was hilarious. I immediately became a fan of his. And he's got some really uh, good bits uh, besides that one as well. Um, I really enjoyed this interview with him. I think he's another one of those smart comedians like Mike Kaplan, Dan Wilbur, and uh, Liz Mealy, who I've had on. And um, uh, so I think he, and he also just happens to be a hell of a nice guy. So I think you guys will enjoy this. And here we go. Ted, yes, welcome to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. Thank you for being on. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, sir. So, yeah, I think we have, um, I've had some guests that you actually might know. Uh, uh, Dan Wilbur, Liz Mealy, Mike Kaplan, you know those three, right? Sure, absolutely. Love, love all three of those folks. Yeah, they're all funny comedians. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this. So um, I guess we'll just start with your background. You, you grew up in Bella Rose, Queens, right? That's correct. Yep, Bella Rose, Queens. It's kind of the Queens-Long Island border, but uh, proud to say on the Queens side. <laughs> nice. So I know you're a big basketball uh, fan. Are you a Knicks fan then? I am, sadly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Knicks uh, are the team I grew up rooting for. And uh, through the ups and downs, you know, we had the ups of like the Patrick Ewing, Pat Riley years, but it's been mostly downs in the last couple of decades. Right. Yeah. I well, never. I mean, I was. I'm a Seahawks fan, so I don't know football, but they've been terrible for years, and they won a Super Bowl. So you never know. Just keep rooting for that team. You never know when they'll win a championship. So that's true. And and the odds are better with basketball because it just takes like one guy to pretty much. That's you know, true. Yeah. Turn that's the a, tide. Yeah, you got to have like the whole team for football. But so right, you're, right. Yeah, so you're the second oldest of five. Your parents were teachers and you went to Catholic school. You, you had kind of a Catholic upbringing, am I right? I did. Uh, I went to Catholic high school. High school, uh, yeah. But K through eight, uh, I was in public school. My parents were both public school teachers and advocates of, of public school education. And uh, yeah, I had a great public school education up until eighth grade and then my grandparents very generously uh i don't know if it was purely generosity or they wanted us to go to a catholic school <laughs> they paid they paid for uh myself and my five siblings to okay. go to uh saint francis prep which was a, a good um uh you know catholic school in the area so yeah, yeah. I, had the, I had the mix did you have to be, because uh, I grew up Catholic too, did you have to be an altar boy or do any of that stuff? I did not. You know, that strangely, um, I, you know, maybe it worked in my favor, uh, but they did not allow public public school kids to become altar boys. You, oh. I guess you had to go to the local uh, Catholic elementary school to be in the program or whatever. So uh, I think if it was available to me, I probably would have done it just because like my family was, you know, we were always going to church and involved yeah. and whatever. 
but uh yeah no i was spared that so (laughs) (laughs) yeah but so there was comedy in your house your parents listened to like some stand-up records like that's kind of how you got involved in comedy listen to they listen to george carlin and flip wilson and woody allen and stuff like that right that's correct yeah yeah my parents had good uh, and still do have they have good uh, senses of humor good comedic taste so this was back in the days of uh comedy albums lps you know so uh, yeah. i would put those on sit in the living room and listen either with siblings or alone um yeah there, there was something very intimate about you know and also just the tactile thing of taking a record out of its uh sleeve and looking at the cover art and right listening yeah especially as a kid you know you're kind of uh, allowed entree into this adult world so that was always fun yeah and then there was a piano in the house and that's when you started playing the um the jazz piano which you you know you'd later major in that at college but so I think a lot of people obviously know about your jazz piano background, but I don't know if a lot of people know about your rap group, group uh, background called with you had with your brother, the Brotherly Love. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, can you tell funny, us about I mean, that? I sure can. It's funny you bring that up. I was just texting with uh, comedian, legendary comedian Todd Barry. Uh, wow. I was texting with Todd uh, about that very thing. He, he asked me if I had ever played the Apollo in New York. Uh, and right. I replied, yes, yeah. uh, I did it as a rapper. But you got booed, and, uh, right? That's correct. That's <laughs> correct. Yeah. Todd thought I was joking, but uh, in fact, it's true. I, I uh, My brother and I had a rap group in the 80s and early 90s called Brotherly Love. <laughs> uh, my older brother Rich and I, and uh, yeah, ill fated ultimately. Uh, but we had a lot of fun throughout. You know, we were kind of we were going to public school in New York City at the advent uh, of uh, you know hip hop kind of being born. So like, yeah, we were just hearing all these kind of seminal rap groups, um, things that weren't even really being played on the radio. Oh. And again, getting back to. Uh, getting back to that tactile thing of, of uh, holding a record album in your hands. Like back then the early rap records uh, always had the instrumental on the B side. So if it was like uh, run DMCs, like sucker MCs or whatever, the, uh, the flip side would just be the instrumental. So you could kind of do your own thing. So we, that was how we started. And then we ultimately wound up at the uh, amateur night at the Apollo and uh, we, we got booed off pretty quickly. (laughs) <laughs> right, so you think that they, because you made it through the first um, audition where they and they said they put you in the show, and you think they did that maybe just so that you could get booed, or <laughs> yeah, looking back, you know, like <laughs> we were too naive at the point, yeah. uh, you know, to realize we were like, wow, you know, like they put us right through. I guess we're, I guess we're good, <laughs> um, and you know, I think we were pretty good, but you know, we were. I don't think we were like uh, faded for you know to be like professional level. Uh, but yeah, so I think that definitely had something to do with it. The novelty of, of two white kids uh, coming in to the yeah. Apollo uh, rapping, you know, at that point, this was like kind of, uh, I mean, the Beastie Boys were kind of a yeah. thing at that point. But uh, yeah, rap wasn't like, you know, and hip hop in general wasn't what it would become. So sure. it was uh, it was a good opportunity to throw some chum to the shark. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> That's crazy. So. Um, and then you actually, you ended up being a teacher and you actually, I heard, read that you got your first teaching gig at age 20 before you had your degree. You, you were a gym teacher. Like, did they emergency certify you or how, cause I think you had to have a teaching certificate or at least in Arizona you do in Washington. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, somewhat, uh, 
alarmed to find out. This was like I took a year off uh, after my sophomore year. I went to City College in Manhattan to study jazz piano the first two years, and then I took yeah. a year off uh, to study independently. I was studying one-on-one with this uh, this jazz pianist named Ray Gallen. So, uh, you know, that was like maybe two, sometimes three days a week that I would meet with Ray. Uh, and I had a friend who was teaching English at a Catholic school in Queens, and they were looking for a gym teacher. So, mm-hmm. he, you know, like I had done some musical theater with this guy, and he knew that I was taking the year off and that I was going to be studying teaching. Uh, but he's like, you know, it, you don't need certification. They're just looking for somebody who can like wear a whistle around their neck. So I fit the bill. And uh, before I knew it, I was, it was a part-time thing. I think I was oh, teaching okay. like two or three days a week, but I was wow. teaching kindergarten through eighth grade. Cause I, I remember turning 21 uh, at that job. Yeah. Hmm. That, uh, you know, I, I didn't have any business <laughs> being in a classroom. <laughs> Interesting. So, and then you ended up majoring in, uh, you went to Queens College, which, did you know that, that Queens College had some like famous alumni like Jerry Seinfeld, Paul Simon, and I guess Ron Jeremy went there? I didn't know that either, but um, did, was that yeah, part of the reason right. you <laughs> you picked that school or was it just cause of, uh, because it's so close to you? Yeah, no, it was more proximity. Like proximity. I, I had yeah. started at City College and then uh, once I was kind of, um, you know, going to transfer and get out of the uh the music track uh i figured you know because because that was like about an hour and a half commute from queens into manhattan i would take like wow. a bus and two trains Jeez. so rather than do that i said let me you know uh let me switch into the education program mm. and i'll go to queens college which was like a 20 minute drive so it had more to do with that although i later found out about all the famous alumni that's very cool yeah so then you, you did the education thing, but you also were kind of working with the theater people, um, kind of, I don't know, I'm assuming like electives, or did you have like even a minor in theater, but you did that stuff, and that's kind of where you felt more at home, but was it more just that you did the education because you're like, well, I got to pay the bills somehow, right? Or Yeah, I was a bit lost, to be honest. It was okay. kind of like, uh, what do I do now? You know, like after the yeah. jazz thing didn't work out, I knew I wanted to be in the arts, um, but I always kind of had this sense that I didn't want to be an acting or theater major i just i don't know it felt like impractical to me like i like i had done a lot of theater in high school and both in school and like community theater so i was like why do i have to study this thing that i've just been doing like for Mm -hmm. many years uh so i felt as though like the music track was more practical like I'm, i'm practicing i'm learning uh but when that fell through i was like all right you know what do what do i do now uh so i think i kind of instinctively went toward teaching just coming from a, a family of teachers sure. and thought like, all right, let me figure out, you know, at least this will be a degree in the meantime uh, while I figure out what the hell I'm going to do. And, you know, like I, I didn't really know like what was on the horizon as far as like, I knew I wanted to be in the arts, but I didn't know how that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So you did the sketch comedy and then you did stand up and you did that on the side for a while. You actually taught for five years in elementary. So at what point did you kind of say you pulled the plug on teaching and moved to comedy full time? Was there something, one thing that gave you confidence or you just take a risk or? Yeah. Uh, you know, like you said, I, I had done sketch comedy at Queens college and the guy who was kind of the founder of our, our sketch uh, program there uh, was a fellow student. His name is Hollis James. And uh, he was just so funny and smart and motivated. I mean, he would write uh, like a new sketch show every semester and put it up 
you know, uh, kind of single-handedly. I mean, he would cast it, he would direct it, write it, star in it. So he was just this dynamic presence that, um, you know, like, I, as you mentioned, I was not in the theater program, but I mm-hmm. had friends who were. Yeah. So it was one of those deals where, like, you know, education classes were both um, easy and uh, relatively boring, I found them <laughs> to be. So yeah, sounds about <laughs> any right. Spare time, yeah. yeah, any spare time I had, I, I wound up hanging around the theater department mm. um, because those were really my, my people and my friends. So then, uh, you know, I just kind of fell into that. I fell into Hollis's, uh, he cast me in a sketch show. I wrote a couple of sketches that he put into the show. And that was really the pivoting point for me of realizing mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, you know, I really love the writing, the whole process of, you know, up until that I, I had been in stuff that I was, you know, whether it was musical theater or, or straight plays, uh, I was doing somebody else's work. But with sketch, it was that moment of realizing, wow, you know, I can, I can write stuff and collaborate with people. And so that really was a turning point. Yeah. Okay. So then you, you quit and then you ended up, doing stand-up comedy full-time and it's it looks like you've been all over the place like uh, i mean looking at these list of countries i mean what is it like doing stand-up in kuwait or singapore or norway i mean i just i don't even do these people speak english or are you like performing for the troops or what what are those shows how does that work yeah it's, it's primarily for locals yeah it's always okay. in english and i don't speak any other language so it's, uh, it's always in english uh and it's a combination depending on where you are of locals uh, of expats who are, you know, they could be Americans or they could be um, Brits, Australians, you know, just English speakers. Um, they could be from anywhere uh, that, that happen to be living in, in the particular country you're performing. So uh, I've done some stuff for the troops in, in those various countries, but the, the lion's share of it was just um, just regular comedy shows for people who live there. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, what you realize over the years is just that any show that you're doing is it's just another crowd. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you don't want to get too much in your head about, uh, you know, psyching yourself out that you're in this country or that country or this city or that city. Uh, you know, you learn to kind of ask some questions, find out about where you are and maybe throw in a little bit of stuff to break the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But yeah, after that, it's just, it's a group of people who are there to have a good time. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So then your home comedy club is, is that, would you say that's the comedy cellar? Yeah. At this point, the, the cellar yeah. is in New York where I perform the most. Yeah. I mean, I, we, I went there once. It was really cool. Um, some big names obviously drop in. I, I listened to a story that you told about, how Robin Williams came by one time. That sounds really, that was like, people should Google that. Um, Cause I want, you know, you just listen to the whole story, but who else has stopped by there where you were kind of starstruck or. Uh, I mean, the cellar is the kind of place that literally, you know, anyone could pop in. Uh, Robin was certainly like the biggest legend who I ever crossed paths with. Uh, you know, Seinfeld too, of course. Um, What's he like you know, in person? Was he was he cordial to you or friendly or? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was nice. I mean, you know, he he has a I think a certain amount of uh, like his guard being up, sure, just because of how famous he is and yeah. how pretty much like anyone he encounters, uh, 
wants something from him in some sure. way, whether it's a picture, a handshake, a moment. Mm. Uh, but once he realizes that you're a comedian, um, and you know, now I've met him a, a handful of times. Oh. So we, you know, at least know each other, uh, I think <laughs> by sight. Okay. Uh, but, but yeah, he's, you know, once he knows you're a comedian, uh, I think it removes a layer of that kind of guard or, or reserve. Yeah, because I would still fanboy out even if I was a comedian. I feel like, and, and maybe more so because like he'd be such an inspiration. <laughs> but I get you. You guys kind of have to like play it down a little bit when you're working because it's your job, right? So you can't. Yeah. No. Yes and no. I mean, you know, you still get that. For me, anyway, uh, it it is uh, exciting to to work with someone uh, who's that famous and established and somebody that well respected too, mm-hmm. who's you know created a legendary uh television show and written so many uh so much great stand-up so yeah he's a guy you know sometimes like with famous people like they're more famous than they are good uh but with <laughs> him i feel like it's yeah uh, it's it's both you know? yeah like, no a lot, a lot of respect yeah, and you said Chappelle comes in too because he's more of an. I thought he was more of an LA guy, but I guess they probably go both LA and New York, huh? Well, Chappelle lives in, um, I think, outside of Dayton, uh, in Ohio. Oh. So he's kind of like, yeah, Back he'll he'll go to both. Yeah, but I mean, he came up through the New York scene, so oh, I, I didn't know him that. a lot. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think he started in DC as like a teenager, fourteen oh, years old, okay. I think. Wow. Uh, but then made his way to New York, maybe as an 18 year old or something, 19. Yeah. Uh, so I saw him for most of his twenties, you know, um, in, in New York. And, uh, now like when he pops in, of course it's a, it's a big event. It's sure. Even, you know, he's attained legendary status too. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's always cool to watch him work. Yeah. So, and then besides international shows, the comedy seller, you've also done late night. You've done a lot of late night. You've done Letterman, Conan, Jimmy Kimmel. Um, do you have a favorite late night show to do or what are the differences between all those? I, I'm a big Conan fan myself, but I've watched them all. Yeah. 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 Conan is a lot of fun actually, just because he's such a genuine guy and such a comedy fan. And I've done it a few times now. So, uh, both he and the staff, I know a couple of the writers too, who are, who are comedians, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Lori Kilmartin, uh, Brian Kiley, both great comedians. Um, Jimmy Pardo, uh, does the warm up, So I would see him. So, you know, it just feels, um, there's a comfort level over the years. Cause you, you know, yeah. the staff and you know, you know, Conan, uh, Andy Richter, you know, I, I did an episode of Jim Gaffigan's show with Andy Richter one time. So, you know, there's a comfort level there sure. over the years. Um, but, you know, the one that stands out the most is when I did Letterman the first time, just because, you know, that oh. he was the, he was the icon for me. Yeah. So that was, it was exciting to do that. It was kind of, you know, validation. Yeah. So was it pretty nerve wracking or was it, is it more oh, yeah. energizing or both or? Yeah, it's both. You know, on the one hand, you've worked really hard and you feel uh, confident and excited about your, your five minutes. Uh, but on the other hand, it's, you know, you're going to be seen by millions of people, mm-hmm. uh, in, in that one night, you know, uh, which is more than years, you know, years worth mm. of club work, uh, that people have, you know, that you've been exposed to people. Right. So, um, yeah, it was, it was thrilling and nerve wracking. And I remember specifically like the moment when they, yeah, uh, you know, you're in the Ed Sullivan Theater, and the dressing room is up on like the fourth or fifth floor. Mm-hmm. 
so you, you take the elevator up in the beginning of the night when you arrive and there's different, different celebrities there. I think Natalie Portman might've been the other guest. My, wow. my first time. That's a big one. Yeah. So, yeah. So she was on it. She wasn't even on my floor. She was on a different floor, mm. but, uh, then, like one of the when your set comes up, one of the production assistants comes up and gets you, and uh, takes you down in the elevator. And I just remember that walk of like to the elevator and mm. then going down. And then when the elevator's door doors open and you're on the the floor of the you know the theater, yeah, uh, you hear the music. You're backstage. You hear Paul Schaefer and the band playing. Uh, it's a commercial break. You know that you're coming up soon. Oh. They walk you to the wings and they say like, okay, 90 seconds. Okay. One minute, you know, 30 seconds. So you, it's just like this build to like, Oh my God, you know, and you can see Letterman sitting there at his desk. Uh, so that was, that was pretty, wow. That's gotta be surreal. I would think. Oh, for sure. Wow. For sure. Yeah. You, it's hard to wrap your head around it. it. It almost feels like you're, you know, out of body, like you're, observing your life yeah so do you think that being on late night shows still has the same merit that it once did because like when i was a kid there was only a couple ways to watch comedians but now there's youtube and um, some of these clips go you said you know millions of people are going to see you i just saw a comedy central clip of a comedian probably nobody knows who she is amy silverberg it had 2.5 million views she's never even been on a late night talk show so do you think that there's the late night still has the merit in addition to these other ways or what's your thought on that I think it has less of an impact, you know, mm-hmm. because as I was starting, it was still pretty much, um, you know, the late night shows still had cachet and still could kind of make a career, uh, you know, in the early 90s, mid 90s. But then as cable, you know, uh, Comedy Central became bigger. Yeah. And so that had a big impact early in my career. Um, but now at this point, like you said, I don't even think anybody honestly watches those shows in real time. If anything, yeah. you, you see the clip, uh, online after the fact. So right. that's, that's where things really live. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, how I found you. Like, I, I saw a clip yeah. that you had done. I think it was on Instagram actually, but, um, Oh yeah. 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 It was really good. Um, and is there, do you think that, or is there any late night shows left that you, that, you want to do that are on your bucket list? Like, would you want to, is the, t- the tonight show or SNL or was Letterman kind of the number one for you? Uh, well, yeah, I think Letterman definitely had the most sentimental, um, resonation mm-hmm. for me, uh, just because he was a guy that I grew up watching and admiring. Um, so yeah, I mean, I haven't, I've never done the tonight show. Uh, I didn't do it when Jay Leno hosted, and I haven't done it with Jimmy Fallon hosting, um, you know, but of course I'd love, I'd love to do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, the, it's not that same kind of like, that's the only uh, way to be noticed. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. It doesn't hold the same appeal in the, in terms of like, uh, you know, as much as I think Jimmy Fallon's talented, uh, he, he, you know, he, he doesn't have that legendary allure that Letterman had for me as a starting. Right. Player. Yeah. Yeah, because I think back then, like I said, it was only a couple channels, and those guys, if you weren't on those shows, like you probably weren't very well known, but now you can, not to say those shows don't make other make comedians too, but like you said, they can watch the clips and YouTube and all that stuff. So, um, But you've also done some film and TV work. 
Um, you were on Oz and then, like you said, the teacher's lounge, um, and inside Amy Schumer, you had a couple episodes of that. Um, do you like doing yep. the film and TV work? I mean, it's clearly different from doing stand up with a live audience, but I think it'd be cool to see yourself on TV. Oh yeah. So it's, it's always exciting. Uh, and most of the work that I've gotten has been through my stand up. So like mm -hmm. when I got Oz, it was because the writer director, uh, Tom Fontana had seen me one night at Caroline's. And I just got a random phone call the next day. I didn't even know he was in the audience at Caroline's. Wow. And, uh, and sure enough, he, he called me in for an audition and I got cast in an episode. So that, yeah. that was a thrill. Uh, and then a lot of the stuff has come through, as you mentioned, uh, fellow comedians. So Amy Schumer, uh, Louis C.K., Jim Gaffigan, uh, you know, all my comedian friends who, who have shows have been, yeah. uh, you know, nice enough to, to bring me along. Yeah, let's talk about um, Jim Gaffigan. So you guys have quite a relationship. You've done his TV show. Um, and actually, you're on the road right now opening for him. So I was just curious what it's yeah. like when you guys hang out. Because I think people probably picture it's this endless like, laugh fest that where you guys are trying to one-up each other and always trying to be funny. But for me, I, I tell me if I'm wrong, but I just for some reason I'm picturing you guys turning the comedy off and just having these like deep philosophical conversations. Am I, am I correct? Yeah, you're <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. Yeah, that, that's a lot of the times that is the case where, you know, because we travel so much together. So yeah. whether it's on, on a plane or uh, it can be, um, you know, in a, in a car driving to, to uh, a gig or, or it can be backstage or it can be going out to dinner afterwards. We, we spend a lot of time together. So, um, yeah, we're both like, like you know, we both uh, like a good time and we like joking around, mm -hmm. but we do kind of delve into uh, serious stuff of, you know, whatever's going on in our lives, what's, what's going on in the world, uh, politics, all of that. Yeah, so it's, wow. it's fun because it's not just, uh, you know, I, I think like any good friendship, it's, um, you know, you, you kind of cover, you bounce around and cover a lot of different topics. Mm -hmm. So you guys are pretty good friends then, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like Jim and I have known each other probably close to 20 years, came up wow. through New York together. Uh, he was like, you know, probably a few years ahead of me. He was more with like the class of comedians like uh, Greg Giraldo and, uh, you know, maybe Dave Attell. Maybe Dave was even probably maybe a little bit ahead of those guys. But, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, they were a little, you know, maybe three, three, four years ahead of me. Okay. But then, you know, we became friends uh, just doing so many shows over the years in the New York scene. Mm. And then about maybe five, six years ago, uh, Jim reached out and asked me if I wanted to open for him. Wow. And that was a huge deal. You know, that kind of enabled me to get off the road in terms of just doing like comedy clubs. Yeah. Um, so now, you know, I still fill in my, my schedule, like any guests that I have where I'm not working with Jim. Yeah. I try to fill in a, a weekend here, a weekend there. Now, Jim, but, uh, when you're opening for a comedian, sorry, go on. Yeah, that's okay, yeah. Oh. No, I was just going to ask, when you open for a big comedian like that, see, I didn't understand it. I was talking to a band the other day, and they said, like, they're open up for uh, Whitesnake, and they said that they had to pay to get on that tour. But if you're opening for a comedian, I'm hoping the comedian pays you, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I would, I would not be doing the gig if I had to pay. Yeah, I just thought that um, was weird. I don't know if that's every band, but I thought that was really, like, kind of shocking. That's why I, I kind of like doing these interviews because I like kind of seeing behind the curtain, like these kind of things that go on in the yeah. business. And so it's interesting. Right. So, um, yeah, I've read something to that degree that, um, for, for bands, especially that that's a, uh, like an important way to build your fan base is mm -hmm. to open 
for somebody, uh, right. you know, and then for whom like you maybe share a fan base. Um, so yeah, I would, I, but I was unaware that like paying to get in there. I mean, it, it makes sense. Just That's Yeah. I interviewed this band, works. this local band called the Black Moods, and they said that they opened for White Snake. I thought, oh, that's so cool. And they said, yeah, we had to pay to do that. I was like, what? I was like, I guess it's to get yeah. you know, to riot. And they were saying that they were suggesting. I heard this uh, a couple years ago. They were talking about uh, the ba- uh, art, musical artists for the Super Bowl. They were going to, they were considering making the artists pay to do the Super Bowl halftime show because it's such a big publicity thing. So I don't know. Right. It's interesting. Right. <laughs> I Very don't know. bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Nothing surprises me anymore. Right. <laughs> Kind of stuff, but, uh, <laughs> right. No, yeah. I know you're yeah, you're with your background and stuff, but I got to ask you about this. Um, so this is the first joke. This is where I found you. And I was like, Oh my, like you immediately became one of my favorite comedians. The La Bamba joke. I love this joke because <laughs> the way you crafted it, it just comes across like so honest. And I, and I related to that because I also thought the lyrics were the same thing you did. You misinterpreted the lyrics. So did you kind of yeah. like craft that joke or, cause it almost sounds like you're just telling the story, like just honestly, like this is exactly what happened. Or did you kind of like tweak it and take out parts and change it up a little bit? Yeah. 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 Well, that was one of those things that, you know, it was like a real life experience, uh, as I say in the joke of just being at this bar where um, there was karaoke. And so, you know, I, I was not paying attention, but, you know, people are singing songs, whatever. Yeah. And then La Bamba comes on and I see that it's, it's not ba-da-da-da, which yeah. is what I've been you know, that's, that's what I thought it was, too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was just one of those experiences. And I tell comedians this, you know, younger comedians, or just, you know, people who are writers or whatever, uh, people who are pursuing something artistic. I, I say, like, anytime you have a visceral feeling or something happens where you're, where you're like, kind of off your stride a little bit, uh, just take note of it. Take note of the way you feel. Take note of, like, what's going on. So that was just, you know, an example of, like, yeah. uh, finding that out and being like, what? I, you know, my whole life I thought <laughs> I thought it was ba-da-da-da. So then it just became a story. And like you said, it, it, I pretty much just tell exactly how it happened. And uh, the story kind of evolved over the telling of it over years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that one. I also love that your joke about how you're not in your sexual prime and you compare that to being to Shaq's years on the Celtics. But I was just that, and that's a great <laughs> analogy. But I was just wondering, was there any, you. did you think, did you go through a list? Like, is there any deleted scenes from that one? Did you think of like other athletes or other, like Burt Reynolds in his later years or Vince Neal? Or <laughs> did you have like a list or why did you, you settled on Shaq? I mean, Shaq, I feel like, yeah, that is perfect. I just wonder if there's other, if you considered other athletes or actors or. Yeah, no, that's a good question because that's kind of the process with a lot of these types of things. Yeah. Uh, with that one, yeah, it was just, uh, again, the visceral feeling of kind of going through, you know, in, in my late 40s, early 50s, uh, this, you know, erectile dysfunction and like being like, all right, well, how can I talk about it? How can I like, you know, because I'm kind of of the mind that like, you know, unless it's like too much information or, or sharing too much of like my wife or, or, or our marriage or whatever, yeah. uh, I, I, of course, I kind of make sure that she signs off on anything. Mm. But as far as my own life, I, I don't care about, like, I'll talk about pretty much anything. So uh, that was a case of like, well, how can I talk about this kind of struggle of like getting older and being mm-hmm. past my prime? Uh, and then I just thought of it, you know, being a sports fan, I thought of it in terms of an athlete. You know, it, it always, it's always so stark to me when uh, an athlete who is associated with one franchise uh, for a long period of time uh, plays for, you know, another team at the end of their career, just right. totally 
out of place. So I just thought the image <laughs> yep. of Shaq in a Celtics jersey came to mind. Uh, and yeah, I don't, I don't even think, to be honest, that I, I, I don't think I tried any other um, analogies. I think that mm. I just did that one, and it, and it worked so well. And even if people aren't sports fans, yeah, I think they get it. And uh, even mm-hmm. if they, you know, even if they just know that he, mostly he played for the Lakers with yeah. Kobe or whatever, uh, it's still like you know they can still follow along. Yeah, no, and I think it was was he on the Celtics before or after the Suns? Because I went to a Suns game here and it was the same thing. He was just like walking up and down the court. I was like, what's going on with him? He's like, it's like he's not even trying. So that was a yeah, good analogy. Yeah. That was his his last stop, if I'm not mistaken, was the Celtics because he kind okay. of did almost like a, wow. a, a a tour of trying to latch on with a with a championship yeah. contender. He went from I think the Cavs. He played with LeBron. Uh, he went to uh, the Suns with like Steve Nash and those guys, and then mm-hmm. he went to the Celtics with when they had like Paul Pierce and mm. you know and maybe Kevin Garnett still. Wow. But they I can't were believe you there. Yeah. I can't believe he played yeah. after the Suns. I thought he was like on his last legs when I saw him. So <laughs> that's funny. So yeah, yeah, I think he blew out his Achilles, and you know, and so a joke was born. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, I mean, comedy's definitely in 2020. It's changed a lot, like we talked about. Um, but it's not because it's not just stand-up comedy anymore. You have to be adept at podcasts, social media, interacting with fans. Do you enjoy all the extracurriculars involved with stand-up, or if you had your choice, would you just do stand-up comedy full time and? not have to worry about all that other stuff. I do. I think I was a little slow to embrace like the podcasting and stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, but now I've been doing my podcast yeah. a little bit me for, uh, over a year. Uh, it's a weekly podcast comes out every Tuesday and I, um, I kind of do it solo for the first half or, or so. And then the second half is interviewing a, a comedian friend. I just call them up unannounced and, you know, just kind of see if I can surprise them with a call and, and catch up. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I've really kind of come to love that as well. And like you say, it is, it's another element of, um, a stand up and of, you know, self expression. And I think in, a, in, in some way, because I do it myself, it does help me, uh, in terms of stand up too, because you, you're, you're putting out all this extra content. I'm putting out mm-hmm. another hour every week. Right. You know? So, um, yeah, it just helps in your, your thought process and your clarity and, uh, exp- you know, self-expression. Absolutely, yeah. And what about, like, the social media? Do you ever get frustrated with the social media? Because it seems like Instagram especially, it's almost, like, unfairly competitive. Or it's like, I don't know if it's superficial. Because, like, you're really talented. You're a hardworking stand-up comedian. You have really good bits on there. But, like, some girls will just, they'll put up a picture of them in a bikini, and then they get, like, a million followers. And I feel like, ah, oh, this isn't fair. Like, I feel like I'm spinning my <laughs> wheels trying to make this really good podcast. And then it's like, I wish I could just put myself in the bikini and just get a million followers that way. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you could drive yourself crazy with trying to, you know, uh, if, if you're looking through a lens of uh, a meritocracy, um, you know, because there's going to be an audience for all that kind of stuff that uh, doesn't really have anything to do with what you're doing. True. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just try to stay focused on, like you said, putting out good content uh, in the mm-hmm. last couple of years, especially. I just realized, you know, like, um, content is really what people are looking for. Good content. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, over 25 years, I, I have good content that I'm proud of. So let me just keep yeah. putting out my jokes, you know, like a minute at a time, two minutes at a time. Uh, and people share them, people tag their friends. So it's kind of a, an organic way of, 
you know, building your audience because people are telling their friends about you. Exactly. No, and and your clips are will get a ton of views and stuff. So besides your content, um, now you've listed like Dave Chappelle, Dave Attell, Janine Garofalo, Brian Regan um, as modern day comedians that you're fans of. Who else maybe kind of under the radar, up and coming that we should watch out for? Like who's who's big in the New York scene, but maybe not nationally yet. Um, there's a guy Tim Dillon who is kind of a uh, hurricane of comedy he's he's really funny and just uh you know he'll do characters uh like videos of characters like he'll do megan mccain and uh he he does uh yeah just all these all these various yeah he he did a video where he was jeffrey epstein's um temple (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) i gotta see this yeah, yeah. Oh, to Google you this. Google Tim Dillon. Okay, that uh, sounds familiar. Jeffrey I feel like I might even follow him. Have you heard of? Uh, oh, Amy- yeah, he's a, he's a breath of fresh air. Okay, he's he's, he's bizarre and, and very funny. Have you heard of Amy Silverberg? I just discovered her. I thought she was Amy a- Soderberg. Silverberg. Silverberg. There's a uh, clip that she did. It has like two and a half million views. Like I, I she came out. Of, she came out of nowhere. She's a professor at USC. Just posted this thing on Comedy Central. It has like two and a half million views. I thought she was hilarious. I don't know if anyone's heard of her. But oh, nice. I'll have, yeah, I'll have to yeah, check, check her out. out. I don't think I've seen her, but I'll check that out. Okay. Um, speaking of, uh, this is a terrible transition. Speaking of women, I guess, uh, you reconnected with, so your wife, you, you, she was your girlfriend before. You reconnected with her. You guys lost touch for like 10 years. It, can you That's tell right. me the story with that? Like, uh, well, I know you said you don't want to step on her, her privacy, but uh, like who reached out to who in that scenario? Oh yeah, no, I don't mind talking about that. Okay. I talked about it in, in my last special, actually. Told yeah, the story. a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my, yeah, my wife and I, uh, we had been introduced by Hollis James, who was my friend from Queens College, who I started in comedy with. So Hollis was DJing uh, around New York City at the time, and he met my now wife, uh, Madeline. Uh, just when he, I think he was at, he was he was working at a at a bar. And he met Madeline and a friend of hers, and they were talking about comedy because Hollis and I were collaborating on some stuff. We we were working on a pilot for uh, Comedy Central at the time. Uh-huh. So uh, he mentioned that he was writing with me, and she was like, "No way! I, you know, I I love Ted Alexander's comedy." So she was she was someone who knew about me, and uh, that put her squarely in the minority at, at that point. And uh, so so when Hollis uh, said. I'd, I'd like to introduce you to this girl that I met. You know, I think you would like her. Uh, she's really nice and smart and funny, beautiful. So um, I was kind of skeptical because she was in college. So, you know, there was an age difference. I was like 17 years older than she was. And wow. I was like, I'm not going to, you know, I thought it was kind of ridiculous, to be honest. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to, even though he was my best friend uh, and he was sincerely saying, I think you like her. Uh, she was going to FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. Um, but I was like, you know, I was skeptical and you know, I was like, I don't need to be dating a college girl. Um, but then I, I went out uh, to one of his next gigs and met her there. And it was really kind of love at first sight. We just hit it off and we dated for about a year that first time. But then she was studying abroad and working abroad in Italy and we broke up. And then about 10 years went by and she, she texted me out of the blue that she was back in New York hmm. and, uh, yeah, we kind of hit the ground running. Nice. That's a great story. Yeah. 
That's a good story. Yeah, it was just the right timing, you know? Like, uh, I mean, I always loved her and kind of, like, never really completely, like, put her out of my heart, even though I, you know, moved on and dated other people. Mm-hmm. So when she did text me, it was like the timing was right and I was ready and so was she. Perfect. Awesome. Well, that's, yeah. that's and a now we have a now we have a son. I don't know if you know that. We oh, no, I didn't know that. a baby boy on Christmas Day. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. So that, how did exciting. that change your life? Oh, man, it changes <laughs> everything, you know? It's just, uh, yeah, you just wake up happy to see him and to watch him grow. He's only, you know, about seven weeks now. But, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, all the cliches that you hear, it's, he's a joy to... Uh, to witness, you know, just to be, mm-hmm. to be next to him and to, to watch him grow and to be his father and to be his parents, you know, we're having a great time. And then, so you'll start probably doing some jokes about being a parent and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's starting. It's cause that's, starting. yeah. Cause that's like what you talked about, like how you just take things from your life. So as, as your life changes, yeah. your comedy changes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never been afraid of that. You know, like some people, are, are like kind of very protective of just being a certain thing or, you know, I, I guess, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. But, uh, I've always been of the mindset of whatever's going on in my life is what I want to be talking about. So Mm -hmm. yeah, look out for the dad stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's very, what does she know? What does she do? What does your wife do? My wife is an artist, primarily a painter. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, she's, yeah. Wonderfully creative and, um, inspired. Um, but yes, for, for the most part, that's her, her medium. Uh, she also is a psychic medium. So she does some work with like that and with spirit and really, um, kind of sessions with, yeah, kind of guiding people and working with folks who are going through stuff. Um, yeah, so she's, yeah, she's very, um, creative and, and special and spiritual. Uh, and she also, you know, she does a lot of kind of, um, graphic design as well and things of that nature wow that's a lot of different talents to have that's yes. amazing very yes. cool and right now she's right now she's a mother that's yeah that's, that's kind of the main game that's a, that's a big job yeah. too yeah definitely so <laughs> right, right. I, I asked for you to bring up a charity that you're i know you have a lot of causes that you're i did some research on that and 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 i know i don't like to talk politics but you do a lot of good for the community and the world and so there must be some charity that you are passionate about or yeah, I would say the two that I that I um, kind of work with most intimately uh, or consistently kind of contribute to would be uh, NAMI, National Alliance on uh, Mental... Uh, what, is, what is the I? Illness? <laughs> Mental illness. Mental illness, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or forgetfulness. Oh, that's a great um, yeah, one. The National Alliance on Mental Illness. Yeah, the, NAMI does a lot of great work with uh, folks who are suffering with uh, mental illnesses, mood disorders. Uh, so yeah, they've they've done a lot of great work um, throughout the country, and certainly personally with my family, I, I've had folks that have uh, struggled and kind of had their own journeys with mental illness, and hmm. you know have have kind of come out on the other side doing well thanks to uh, programs like NAMI. And then um, the other one is probably Doctors Without Borders. I, I contribute to them as well. What is that? Is that just where they help people medical? Yeah, they, yeah those are yeah, doctors, people in the medical profession who are kind of working around the world. The world. Uh, wow. Often in, 
in um, often in places that are war torn oh, or uh, wow. places that don't have proper facilities. Um, you know, places that are uh, kind of have been. Uh, you know, if there's economic destruction or, sure. or otherwise, even yeah. physical destruction, they, they go there to uh, to help. Yeah, it sounds like you um, you were kind of raised that way to help people. Uh, I, I heard you talking in an interview about you said that uh, your parents would often like invite homeless people over for dinner and stuff like that. Yeah, I wouldn't say often, but it, oh. it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, the people that were yeah, if not homeless, kind of um, down on their down luck, luck or yeah. you know, yeah, people that were you know in need of uh, a meal or what have you. So yeah, it was. Um, it, it was definitely modeled for myself and my siblings um, to to you know look out for the community. That's very cool, very cool. Well, you've had a great career so far, a lot of success. The stand up, the TV work, your podcast, a little bit me. Um, you also have a stand up special that uh, I watched last, uh, last night. Actually, it's on YouTube. It's called Senior Class of Earth. Um, and then yeah. you're currently on tour opening for Jim Gaffigan. Did I miss anything yep. that you else you want to promote or? Uh, well, people can also find Teachers Lounge on YouTube. Oh yeah, I watched some of that uh, too. Yeah, that's a web series that Hollis James and I co-created, where I play the music teacher and Hollis plays the janitor, and we're always just hanging out in uh, the Teachers Lounge, and then different comedians come in playing faculty, like Jim Gaffigan is the school nutritionist, and Todd Barry is the librarian and Judy gold is the gym teacher. So we, we have 10 episodes and I think they're all funny. Are you in all of them? Cause I, I th- yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I watched a couple, I watched the one with Jim Gaffigan where he had the wine or whatever last night. That was pretty fun. Yeah. And they're short. They're like, what, like 10 minutes or something. Yeah. Yeah. The, on the longer side they're you know, probably eight minutes on, on the shorter side, they could be three or four. Oh, okay. Yeah, we made them to be uh, kind of quick hits, you know, like it usually opens with, Hollis and I kind of just uh, talking to each other and then the other faculty member slash comedian walks in. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's typically the formula. Awesome. Very cool. And you, you have any other TV shows or things that you're going to, are you like, are you currently writing for stuff like that, that you might put out later? Uh, well, Hollis and I are collaborating on a screenplay project oh. right now. So that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what we're working on right now. Okay. Uh, hold on one second. I'm at, I'm at a hotel in St. Louis and someone's ringing the bell. Oh. Hi. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm, they're bringing me chocolates and goodies. Oh, fun. Thank okay. you so much. Well, I'll let you get back to your uh, chocolates and goodies. I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on my little podcast here and slumming it with me. But uh, Oh, no problem. <laughs> I really you. appreciate it. So we'll, we'll pr- okay. put this out and uh, I'll, I'm excited to follow your career. Hopefully keep putting out more of those little stand-up clips. I love them. Oh, thanks, Chuck. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Okay, thank you so much, Ted. You got it. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Okay, so that wraps up another interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, check out Ted's website for tour dates, and you can follow both of us on Instagram. The link should be in the notes of the podcast, along with his charities. Um, if you like this episode, uh, let me know, with either with a review or you can share it to your Instagram story and tag me. I'd love to see that. Um, you can also subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, um, because I got some really great guests coming up. Uh, it's really fun to see the show grow and we're getting some bigger and bigger names. Um, and hopefully maybe some of you are fans of these people already. And if not, then, um, hopefully you'll become a fan of them 
after hearing the interview. Well, thanks again for listening. I hope you have a great day.